Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Numbers. Hello and happy Monday, faithful listeners. This is Jen here with the Bible Explained podcast. We are almost done with season four of the podcast. And from my projection, (laughs) we are going to be starting in season five on the 24th of October. So that's only a few weeks away. So that's all we have left of season four. We'll be moving into season five and the book of Deuteronomy and also the book of John. Pretty sure we're moving into that one pretty quickly as well. But as you guys know, with the season, when I change seasons on the podcast, it's going along with the Old Testament. And that is how I decide when my season is going to change, because the Old Testament books typically are longer than the New Testament books. And so, yeah, that is that's how I decide a season change. But anyway, exciting things to look forward to in the podcast. But let's go ahead and read Numbers 31, 1 through 24 today. I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. version. Please feel free to read out of the version that you prefer, whatever that might be. But also make sure to grab your cup of coffee today. <laughs> I think it was Friday or no, Saturday was National Coffee Day. And the day before that was uh, National Podcast Day. So yeah, those two things just go together so well. (laughs) Makes sense that they would have uh, their national holidays, I suppose, right next to each other. I don't know who decides this stuff either. Like who just decides today is going to be national podcasting day. Tomorrow is going to be national coffee day. Like who just decides these really obscure kind of odd holidays? And there could be one for everything too. There could be like today is national... uh, cell phone day. Today is national tanning bed day. (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, guys, let's go ahead and read numbers 31, 1 through 24. Grab your cup of coffee or your cup of tea and let's start. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, avenge the children of Israel on the Midianites. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. Moses spoke to the people saying, arm men from among you for war that they may go against Midian to execute Yahweh's vengeance on Midian. You shall send 1,000 out of every tribe throughout all the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were delivered out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand from every tribe, 12,000 men armed for war. Moses sent them 1,000 of every tribe to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, to the war with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for the alarm in his hand. They fought against Midian as Yahweh commanded Moses, and they killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. The children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and all their livestock, all their flocks, and all their goods they took as plunder. All their cities in the places in which they lived and all their encampments they burned with fire. They took all the captives and all the plunder, both of man and of animal. They brought the captives with the prey and the plunder to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the congregation of the children of Israel to camp at the plains of Moab, which are by the Jordan at Jericho. Moses and Eleazar the priest with all the princes of the congregation went out to meet them outside of the camp. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the captains of thousands and their captains of hundreds who came from the service of the war. Moses said to them, Have you saved all the women alive? 
Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against Yahweh in the matter of Peor. And so the plague was among the congregation of Yahweh. Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man by lying with him. But all the girls who have not known any man by lying with him, keep alive for yourselves. And camp outside of the camp for seven days, whoever has killed any person and whoever has touched any slain. Purify yourselves on the third day and on the seventh day, you and your captives. You shall purify every garment and all that is made of skin and all the works of goat's hair and all the things made of wood. Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who went into the battle, This is the statute of the law which Yahweh has commanded Moses. However, the gold and the silver and the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that may withstand the fire, you shall make to go through the fire, and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall be purified with the water for impurity. All that doesn't withstand the fire, you shall make to go through the water. You shall wash your clothes on the seventh day, and you shall be clean. Afterward, you shall come into the camp. In my personal reading today, I actually read something kind of interesting. In Jeremiah 51 which was God sometimes instigates wars or he inspires people to go to war. And I found that really interesting since war, we typically think of as something very not good (laughs) and God is in fact good. So this brought to mind when I read this in Numbers 31, can war be good? Like, does it align with God's good nature. So this was something I wanted to research for myself before I um, brought it to you guys. And I found something great, actually. It's a whole uh, little theological thingy (laughs) about war and the Christian worldview. Why did God command war? And this is from the Grand Canyon University to help the students understand a little bit more about uh, theology. And actually, this was just written. This was written like a month ago. So it's kind of cool that uh, I was able to read this and get a really good understanding of God and reasons why God commands war. One of the reasons why God commands war is because unfortunately in a fallen world, war is sometimes necessary and it's necessary for any nation to survive because nations are just going to go to war with each other. That is directly related to the curse. So if The Israelite nation is just this peaceful nation that uh, God is like, don't ever go to war. Then the Israelite nation would have gotten slaughtered (laughs) or God would have had to just like kill them on the spot and God would have gone to war for the Israelites. So it makes no sense. And God often likes people to not be lazy and to move. And there's actually a verse in Judges that I also found interesting about war where it says that God specifically left a group of people near Israel so that Israel could learn how to go to war. So, yes, God likes people to move. He doesn't often do all the work for people. And I think sometimes uh, we get mad at God for not doing our work for us. (laughs) I do. I'm not going to lie. I I get kind of frustrated. I'm like, God, why can't you just do this for me? Like, (laughs) your infinite knowledge. Can't you just complete this task that I have to do? You know, I don't want to do this. So, yeah, we sometimes get mad at God because he doesn't just solve all of our issues. He he teaches us. He grows us through those issues. And we got to learn how to do do them ourselves. So that is one of the reasons why God commands Israel to go to war. Now, the second reason this little article 
states why God commands Israel to go to war is because back in these days, in ancient times, war was often associated with gods. We can see that actually when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, God displayed his power through the plagues. He displayed his power through um, all of that stuff that was going on in Egypt to the Egyptians. And this was teaching the Egyptians that the little G gods that they served were powerless, couldn't do anything. And God, our God, Yahweh God, was the only real God. And so war for many of the ancient peoples was associated with their gods. If they went to war and they were successful, they would praise their little G God and be like, this little G God helped us defeat these people over here. And so God is displaying his power through war, not just to the Israelites, but to all of the surrounding nations. We can actually see how much God loved the Gentile people in the Old Testament, where he's constantly displaying his power to the Gentile peoples. And I think that's something that we often forget And we're just like, oh, you know, God only really displayed his power in the New Testament and only cared about the Gentiles in the New Testament. But that was absolutely not true. He regularly showed his power to the surrounding regions. Now, the third reason why God would command his people to go to war is to enact judgment on the surrounding nations. God often enacts judgment within the Israelite camp, actually. For example, when we talked about the sin that the people did with the Moabite and Midianite women way back a couple chapters ago, um, God sent a plague that killed many, many people in the Israelite camp. So God doesn't play favorites. So why would he enact judgment on the Israelite people through that plague and not do it to the surrounding nations? That would be unfair in all capacities. And God is fair. God is just. So specifically here in Numbers 31, God is telling his people to go to war to enact judgment on the Midianites because the Midianites were the ones who listened to Balaam, the son of Baor. We talked about this guy (laughs) and how kind of crappy he was. But these Midianite people specifically tried to get the Israelite people to start following their gods. And that was why that plague happened in the first place when the men started following after the Midian women, having sex with them and worshiping their gods and bringing them also into the camp, even into the temple. Many people believe it was within the temple courts that this man brought um, the Midianite woman and started engaging (laughs) with her on the floor of the temple courts until Phineas went and fixed that problem pretty quickly. So that's the thing. That is why God tells his people here to go to war against the Midianites was because of that specifically. So that's what the people do. They arm 12,000 men to go to war against the Midianites. And so obviously they are successful because God was with them during all of this. They were successful. They go in and they plunder everything. They killed every single male, but they saved the women alive. And there's only a handful of times. Also, I do want to mention this. 
And we'll see this in Deuteronomy chapter 20. And I read through Deuteronomy 20. It's kind of the rules God gives for war with the Israelite people. Most of the time when God commanded the Israelites to go to war, we'll see this. It was not to totally decimate the area. And we only see that on a handful of other occasions. But typically, God, when he told his people to go to war, it was to drive the people out, not to totally decimate the area. So this was a rare occasion where God told his people to totally destroy something. Now, the only reason God would typically command his people to go and totally destroy an area was if those people would entice the Israelites to start following after other gods. That was on par with what we think of today as rejection of the Holy Spirit. That is a sin because People who reject Jesus and reject the Holy Spirit and reject God the Father are rejecting their salvation. And that means that they will die in their sins. It's the only unforgivable sin. And in the same way, that's kind of what this was when the Israelites would start following after other gods and ignoring Yahweh God or twisting his truth or uh, doing anything else like that. They were rejecting their salvation. So that is why God sometimes commands the Israelites to totally destroy an area is when he knows that is going to happen with his people, that they're going to start being enticed to follow after other gods. Now, obviously, this already happened with the Midianites. That's why God tells his people to enact vengeance upon them. This is one rare occasion where we see that God commands his people to totally destroy an area. So anyway, that's what the people end up doing. The Israelites are successful in their mission and they kill all the men. They bring the women and the children back as captives. And Moses becomes angry, actually, because of this. And he's like, why did you save these women? They're the ones that listened to Balaam <laughs> in the first place. And they were the ones that started all this. So why did you save them? That was anti what God wanted. Because once again, God is very just. He doesn't play favorites. So he's not going to command women who sin and who uh, cause somebody to sin to not be punished, to not be judged. And so Moses says, kill all of the women, kill all the women that were married. So in other words, any woman who had been married, who had lain with a man, they were to be killed along with the boys. So all of the boys were supposed to be killed as well because boys were going to be their the leaders. That is how things worked back in these days. Boys would be the leaders of a household. And so a boy that is growing up to become a leader is going to be taught the things of their fathers, basically. And that includes their God worship. They would not integrate well into uh, Israeli customs and laws, they would probably try to fight and go back to where they once were. So Moses commands also that the boys be killed. The only people that were allowed to remain alive of the Midianites were the young women, or rather the virgins, who did not ever have a husband. These women could remain alive because they were not going to be um, clan leaders when they grew up. And likely, they would be married into the different tribes of Israel, and they would begin to follow after Yahweh since they would integrate into their new family as 
Israeli women. And that's the thing about this was Moses was actually married to a Midianite woman. (laughs) And likely she understood God and believed in God and followed God because her dad had. And so because of that, Moses was not scared to enact God's judgment on the Midianite people, even though that's technically where his wife came from. Moses was more interested in doing what God commanded him to do. And that's the cool thing about Moses is Moses was often very uh, concerned with the things of God. Actually, he was very concerned with the things of God. And he was a good leader because he was always going to God in prayer. He trusted God on many occasions, not on all, but he trusted God as much as a human, I suppose, could. (laughs) And he he was concerned with what God wanted. And so even though he had family members who were Midianites, Midianites that did not live in this area, by the way, this sounds like a very specific Midianite clan just to uh, throw that out there. I don't think that this was all Midianite people across the globe, (laughs) but the Midianites who lived in the land of Moab, who had their own little city in the land of Moab, that, that is who it sounds like God told the Israelites to go and destroy. But Moses was not concerned about the fact that his wife's family had come from the land of Midian. He was just making sure that he did what God asked him to do. So moving forward here, After all this takes place, Eliezer, the high priest, tells the men who went out to war how to cleanse themselves, because that was still very important. The law had to be upheld in all circumstances. So if a man who went to war touched a dead body, he needed to go through the purification rite to get back into uh, his camp. And so that man who killed anybody needed to wash himself and basically stay outside of the Israelite camp for seven days and over and go through this uh, ritual of cleansing along with the captives also because they were going to be integrated into Israelite society. And then any of the animals that they captured also had to be washed and cleaned (laughs) and anything that uh, was taken as plunder had to be washed and cleaned. If it was made out of gold, silver, bronze, iron, or tin, or lead, it had to be thrown into a fire and cleansed that way because we know that heat burns germs, which people back in these days did not probably understand that, but now we understand that. And then also, um, if it was not made of those types of materials, like if it was made of wood or goat's hair or something like that, it would have to be washed with water. And then the men could come back into the camp. So to conclude this, I always like to say, what can we gain out of something like this nowadays? (laughs) And honestly, I think this one is just for us to look at, to be reminded that God is good no matter what the circumstances. Like I said at the beginning, we often think of war as being something that is terrible, awful, cruel, but sometimes God uses war. And even though us Christians, we aren't Uh, We don't go out to war now and we're not commanded to at all, actually. We still have wars like spiritual wars that we have to face. And if God can help his people go through a physical battle and come out on top, then he can certainly help us with our spiritual battles and anything else that we have to deal with throughout our lifetimes. So it's just important to remember that no matter what the circumstances are in our own lives and how terrible things might seem, 
God is still good and he can use those terrible circumstances to accomplish something good in the end. And so that's kind of what I just want to leave you guys with for this week. Well, guys, my Adore devotional for teen girls, the Advent devotional that I am writing, will be coming out October 14th. That is the projected day for it to be available to the public. So stay tuned for that. I'm very excited to present this to you guys and uh, hopefully help teenage girls understand the idea of what Advent is and why it's important. Because sometimes we think of Advent nowadays as just like some candy calendar or um, sometimes like companies will do an Advent calendar for like the countdown to Christmas and like deals for each day on the countdown to Christmas. But that's not what Advent is. Advent is actually very important. And I do believe it's something that us Christians should be excited for and celebrate because it has fantastic roots that are grounded in just waiting for Jesus. And so those are many of the themes I'm going to be talking about in this book. And I am very, very excited to bring that to you guys October 14th. So keep that date in mind. And if you know of any teenage girl or any girls group that needs an Advent devotional or a devotional for Christmas, think about the Adore devotional, the Advent guide for teenage girls. But anyway, guys, I will see you bright and early tomorrow morning for an episode out of Luke. Happy listening and God bless.